Hey, and welcome to the 12 Stone Church Podcast. Thank you so much for taking time to be a part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message. Well, welcome to 12 Stone. We're glad you're jumping in with us. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to James chapter 4. That's where we're going to be sitting for today's teaching. Now, we've been studying the book of James now for a couple of weeks. We're going to continue in that, uh, but we're also going to conclude in that here today. And we want to close this study of James by taking a look at a sin issue that James would consider one of the greatest enemies and threats to our hearts. It's a great enemy to our faith and our relationships, and we're going to discover all of that here today. What's this one sin that James is going to talk about today? It's this. It's, it's envy. Envy inside of our lives. Now, I want to start off this teaching with a confession. Over the past couple of weeks, if you've missed it, in the news, they, they've said that college football is going to officially happen this fall. We're going to have a season. I get so excited about that. I can't contain it. I love college football. But inevitably, whenever the, the season, the college football season starts rolling around, envy starts creeping inside of my heart. And, and here's why. See, I'm a Michigan Wolverine fan. Go blue. And our greatest rival is the Ohio State Buckeyes. Oh, just saying it makes me almost want to vomit, right? And for the past eight years, I have watched Michigan lose the biggest games while watching Ohio State win every game and go to the college playoffs. And envy continually creeps inside of my heart every single time this happens. I just want to win like Ohio State wins. Now, there is a sickness that actually takes place inside of our hearts when envy comes in. And let me illustrate it this way. Here's what I mean. Whenever Michigan loses, there's only one thing that makes me feel better about it. Watching someone else's team lose, right? So I, every time Michigan loses a game, I always turn on the TV and turn on the UGA game. And I start praying and begging and pleading to God to let UGA lose. Why? Because it makes me feel so much better about myself when I have to walk around Georgia when they've lost two. And that's a sickness that's inside of us. In fact, here's the sickness of envy. This is what it does inside of our hearts. Envy weeps over those who rejoice and rejoices over those who weep. And this stands in complete contrast to what God teaches and commands us to do in Romans chapter 12, verse 15. Paul says we should rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And if we're honest, Man, this isn't just something that exists inside of our fandom of sports and the teams we root for and who we root against. I mean, if we were honest, envy twists our heart in just such a negative way in every aspect of life. I mean, have you ever had a moment where you watched someone else fail or make a mistake and deep down in your soul, in this dark place, you just privately went, yes, right? 
Maybe I'm the only one that's willing to admit that. Maybe you in the chat would be willing to admit that's happened to you. But that's envy. That's, that's envy coming in and weeping over those who rejoice and rejoicing over those who weep. And today, James is going to get our attention and say, look, envy is a much bigger deal than you know when it comes to your faith in your life. In fact, it's in James chapter 3 where he kind of speaks in to, to how much we need to pay attention to this. And he says this, but if you harbor bitter what? Envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly. It is unspiritual. It's even demonic. He continues, for where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find all disorder in every evil practice. James is going, well, you got to pay attention to envy. In fact, let me just read this list really quick of all the different things that happened in scripture based on envy. Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers over envy. Cain killed his brother Abel over envy. Saul tried to kill David over envy. In fact, the Pharisees delivered Jesus to the cross over envy. King Solomon, known as one of the wisest men to ever live, uh, said in Proverbs this about envy. He said, a heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. See, envy is a sickness that comes inside of our hearts and has the ability to destroy everything. So where do we start today? Let's, let's start with this. What is Envy. Here's a working definition of what we'll walk through here today. Envy is resenting God's goodness in other people's lives while simultaneously ignoring God's goodness in your own. See, envy is when you want others' possessions, you want other people's lives, their influence, their prestige, their looks, their talents. And what happens is we're envious of what they have, and that leads us to resentment towards them because of what they have. And, and really, if we're honest, we want what they have so bad that we actually end up hating that person for having it. See, envy thrives on comparison. When we compare our lives to the people around us, and the greatest culprit of envy in this generation and in this time is probably social media, it's Instagram. Because we constantly get to look at what everybody else has in their life. In fact, the Bible talks about how there are three different ways that we can compare with the people around us. And the first one is material comparison. This is you're envious of others' possessions. This is when you loved your truck until you saw your neighbor drive up with the brand new one. And now you don't love your truck so much. This is when she posts a picture of the brownies she just cooked, but you can't see the brownies. All you can see is past that, the, the perfect countertops and the perfect cabinets and the shiplap everywhere and the Joanna Gaines, hearth and hands line all across the tabletop. And you think to yourself, man, I hate her brownies. But it's so much deeper than that. Maybe for you, it's not the material comparison. Maybe for you, it's relational comparison. It's you're envious of others' relationships. Have you ever seen a group of your friends post a picture and you thought to yourself, man, again, I wasn't invited. 
Or, or even worse, have you ever had somebody post a picture of something you were at and they crop you out of it? I've had that happen to me. Literally, I've seen it. Look at the picture. You're going, that is my leg. I'm standing right there. They took me out. Man, that's relational comparison. We start getting relationally envy of one another. Or maybe you, you want to get a promotion or you want to get a new job, but you're, you're looking at someone else closer in relationship to your boss and you envy that relationship. Maybe you're single and you just want to get married and everyone else around you is getting married and you're thinking, man, I'm a better person than them. I'm a better catch than they are. What is going on? That's relational comparison and relational envy. Maybe that's not yours. Maybe for you, it's circumstantial comparison. You are envious of others' situations, man. You want their job. You want the freedom that comes with it. You want the salary that they make because of it. And you are so envious of that circumstance, or maybe it's deeper than that. Maybe for you, you just want a baby. And you're, it feels like you've gone to the 14th gender reveal party for all of your friends and you're sitting here going, man, when am I gonna get mine? And what happens inside of comparison, when we look at the people around us, it skews the way that we see life eventually to the point where we can't ever see anything positively again. And here's what it feels like sometimes when we do this. We look around and we go, well, here's a picture of their dog. It's perfect. Well, here's a picture of my dog, right? It feels that way. Here's their backyard. Here's my backyard, right? Here's their family picture. It's perfect. Here's all of my family pictures. It is a mess. And this is the way our lives begin to feel as we compare to the people around us. We ought to call it envy gram. That's what envy is. Now, now let's ask the question, what does envy do inside of our lives? Well, in James chapter four, you've already turned there. James is going to show us what envy actually does to our lives. You see, envy tells us two lies. That when we believe them, it transforms our hearts and transforms our disposition towards God. And he starts off talking about kind of the fallout of envy, this disorder and all evil practices, what that actually looks like in chapter four, starting in verse one. I'll read. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Well, in other words, what causes fights between your coworkers and you, between your family members and you, between friends that feel like family and you, what, your neighbors in the neighborhood? What causes fights between your teammates on your team? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? See, James is trying to get our attention in this verse. And here's what he's saying is that envy has nothing to do with the condition of our circumstances, but the condition of our hearts. That's why he says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires, that battle within you? See, the fact is the common denominator in all of my relational problems is me. And the common denominator in all of your relational problems is who? It's you. And James continues, verse two, you desire, but do not have, there's envy. So you kill, you covet, there's comparison, but you cannot get what you want. So you quarrel and fight. Now, here's the first lie that envy tells us that speaks inside of our hearts that changes our disposition to God. And it's that envy tells me that God owes me and it leads to entitlement. See, we quarrel and fight back and forth for one another because we see the people around us that have the things we want. And these thoughts come inside of our heads. We go, man, I know that person. I live better than they do. 
I, I know how they live their lives. God, I serve you more. Why don't I have those things? And this, this lie gets into our hearts and we get this disposition. Man, God, you owe me. And entitlement sets in inside of our hearts. And James continues and shows us that this entitlement actually plays out and shows up and reveals itself in our prayer life. The second part of verse two says this, you do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. See, James is saying, listen, I know some of you say, listen, I pray, but I don't get what I want. James is saying, you're missing the point. See, prayer is not giving orders. It's reporting for duty. Prayer is going before God and saying, not my will be done, but yours. Here's what James is getting at. Sinfulness is selfishness. Sinfulness is selfishness. It, it, it's, it's enthroning yourself, putting yourself on the throne, putting your desires, your needs, your wants before anything else in your life. And you may still seek God. You just don't seek him first or second or third or fourth or fifth. You seek him last or, or in desperation. And listen, we may sing in our lives, man, Christ be magnified. We want to give him glory. But the truth is inside of our hearts with envy, see, we, we want everyone else to bow down to us as we bow down to Jesus. We want God to serve our purposes instead of us showing up to serve his. And this is what entitlement does. This is what envy does in our lives and how it shows up in our prayers. The heart disposition that God owes me. He continues. It's me-centric prayers. Verse four, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be the friend of the world becomes an enemy to God. James isn't pulling any punches, is he? He's throwing a haymaker, a knockout, coming right after us. He says, you adulterous people. See, the imagery here is powerful. He's demonstrating this imagery is like a husband or a wife finding their spouse in an affair. This is how God views this when envy takes hold of our lives. And it's the second way and the second lie that envy tells us is this. Envy tells me that God doesn't love me, which leads to idolatry and adultery. See, envy tells me that God doesn't love me because we look at the things that we want around us and we say, man, if God, if you loved me, I would have these things in my life. I would have these possessions. I would have these desires and these dreams. You would give them to me if you loved me. This eventually leads us to the point where we say, man, if God doesn't love me, I'm going to go find something or someone that does, which leads us right into idolatry, committing adultery against God inside of our relationship. See, human beings are wired for worship. Do you know that? See, worship is not something you do. It's something you are. You are a worshiper. The question is not, will you worship? The question is, what will you worship? Because we are worshipers. See, there's only two things you can worship. You can worship you, or you can worship the God who created you. You can create monuments to yourself and your success and give glory to yourself, or you can create altars to God and chase after the desires that he has rather than the desires of this world. Now I want to take a moment. I want to read something to us about idolatry. As I was preparing this lesson, I felt like God was whispering in, talking about how 
us as a culture, man, we just worship ourselves so much that we choose to worship ourselves, our own desires over godly desires. And I want to read something to you. And as I do, I have to admit that I am just as guilty of all of this as you will be. So I'm not just reading this to read it to you. I'm reading this to read it to myself as well. Our culture may not worship physical idols, but we do worship ourselves. We stare at mirrors. We lift our hands to worship ourselves as we lift our hands to take perfect selfies. We find our self-worth at the altar of social media likes. We work out and then take half-naked selfies and hope that someone sees. We have forgotten the creator and replaced him with the created. We have to stop worshiping ourselves as if we are a gift to this world because the only gift to this world is Jesus Christ. We have made the meaning of life to find ourselves rather than finding God. We should be sick and tired of a culture that tells us to chase our worldly desires. Don't chase your desires. Let God replace your desires as you chase him. Here's the bottom line. You become what you worship. If you don't like who you're becoming, you're probably worshiping the wrong thing. See, identity problems are always worship problems. Start worshiping God and you will become the person he created you to be. Soren Kierkegaard, in his book, Sickness Unto Death, says this, that envy arises out of worship. If you want to understand what you worship, follow your envies. You envy those people who have the thing you most worship. So if you worship popularity and prestige, you are envious of those who have more friends and followers and influence. If you worship thinking of yourself as a perfect mom, you're going to envy other moms who look like they have it all together. If you worship money, you'll work long hours and go after and envy the things that people have, the possessions that they have. If you worship yourself, you'll continually put your needs above anyone else around you. If you worship power, you'll continually use the people around you. If you follow your envies, you'll discover what you worship. See, this is what envy does to us. It does to our hearts and our disposition to God when it lies to us. So how do we destroy envy in our lives? Well, it, right here, if you worshiped your way into envy, you have to worship your way out. See, we have to remember the goodness of God. If we go back to the definition, remember, the definition is resenting God's goodness in other people's lives, but simultaneously ignoring God's goodness in your own. And so if we're going to worship our way out of envy, we have to remember God's goodness and what he's done for us. And this is where James goes next in verse five. He says this, or do you think scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? Now that, that verse, verse five, might be a little confusing for you. You hear that and you go, well, what does that mean? And secondly, wait, it just said that God is jealous. Wait, isn't jealousy Envy and isn't envy a sin? I thought God was sinless. And listen, God is sinless. We have to understand what he's saying. See, there's a big difference between being jealous for something and being jealous of something. It says that he is jealously longs for. God is jealous for us. What does that mean? Well, I am jealous for my wife, Cassie. Why? Because she's my wife. We're in a covenant relationship. She's mine. I am hers. 
And if some dude comes up smitting towards my wife, he's going to be smitting towards my fists in about a second because I'm jealous for her. I love her. That's not envy. That's love. And in the same way, Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. And if you believe and confess this to be true, that he died three days later, was resurrected and ascended to heaven, then you are God's. You are a child of God. So God is jealous for you because you belong to him. You're his child. He's not jealous of you, but for you. And so what verse five is saying is James is saying, God is jealous for you. He loves you. He wants his Holy Spirit that is within you, guiding you and leading you and having you worship the Holy Spirit. And as if that's not good enough, despite our idolatry, despite our adultery towards God, look at what James says next in verse six. I love this. He says, but he gives us more grace. Man, just when you think you have done enough wrong to separate yourself away from God, where he can never forgive you again, James reminds you, no, no, no. The goodness of God is that he gives you more grace time and time again, but he's jealous for you. He's calling you back. He's saying, don't chase the things of the world. Don't chase, chase their values, what they love, their tolerance of sin. Come back to me. Be my child. I have more grace than you could possibly imagine. He continues, that is why scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble because pride is rooted in envy. We need to humble ourselves. So how do we worship our way back out of envy? Well, verse seven, submit yourselves. Submit yourselves then to God. See, submit is a military term. What it's saying is that there's a chain of command. And when envy takes hold of our hearts and, and breathes this, God owes me, God doesn't love me, what happens is we get out from underneath his chain of command. And, and James is saying, listen, submit yourself. Get back under that. And we submit by, by worshiping. You want to know how to rightly see God and rightly see yourself? Get in worship with God. Get in his presence. And that submission will take place once again. He continues, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God, worship him, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. In other words, repent and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up high. Man, how many times and how many places in your life are you looking for something else to give you a lift up, to give you a pick-me-up instead of God? But James is reminding us, no, if we worship God, if we draw near to God, he's gonna draw near to us. And inside of that, we are called to humble ourselves before him through worship. See, we've got to worship our way back out of envy. As I was preparing this teaching, God reminded me of a moment where envy had taken hold of my heart. And this wasn't about college football or something funny like that. It was much more serious than that. It was seven years ago. I was the college pastor here at 12 Stone. Now it's Heather Semple doing awesome. And at C12, our college ministry, I watched my heart get wrapped up 
in the attendance, the people that were showing up to the ministry I was over. I started caring less about the people and just hoping that the seats would fill up and they would continue to grow. And it was through this season that God stopped the growth of my ministry because there is envy inside of my heart. I was worshiping the wrong thing. And as I was looking around me, I saw every other ministry of 12 Stone growing, our student ministry, our high school ministry, all of our campuses, everything was just blowing up around me. And in college ministry wasn't doing anything. And I'm just looking up at God going, God, what's going on? Grow this thing. And I remember God putting a thought inside of my head in that moment. He said, Sean, when will I be enough for you? And I just wept. Because it was in that moment that I realized envy had taken a hold of my heart and I was chasing after things that were just meaningless. It didn't even matter. I was getting my self-worth out of who was showing up and how many were showing up. That was my identity rather than having my identity in Christ. So church, let me ask you here today a question. When is God going to be enough for you? When will you allow God to expose this envy inside of your life where it has taken a hold of your heart and twisted the way that you view him and view everyone around you? When will he be enough? See, if you worship your way into envy, you have to worship your way out. So I want to take a moment. One of the ways we do worship is through song, but one of the ways we worship is through prayer. I want to pray that God would give you a moment right here, right now to confess inside of your soul privately to him or publicly, if you want to say out loud, what that thing is, that envy that's inside of your heart that has told you the lie that God owes you. An entitlement has set in where, where, where the lie has been said that God doesn't love me and you've turned to idolatry and your identity in something else. I want to pray that God would have a moment with you take this out of your life. So if, would you bow your heads wherever you're at? If you're in the car, don't do that. Keep your hands on the wheel. Just pray out loud. It's okay. But I want to pray over you. So Father God, we pray that right now. We declare that we understand that envy has taken a hold of our hearts in some way, some form. It's different for every single one of us, but it's there. And God, we believe these lies that you owe us and we're entitled. We believe this lie that, that you don't love us because we think we should have these things. But the reality is, is you are so good. We sang about it today. Jason talked about it today, that you are so good. Jesus, you died for us. And that when, when we've screwed up, when we've become adulterous in idolatry, you still have more grace for us that we don't even understand yet. So in this moment, I don't even need to pray over the specifics. I think through this message, you have exposed somewhere inside of each one of our hearts where we have envy. In this moment, we repent. As James says, wash your hands, you sinners. We repent, tell God what it is. And then God, I pray that you would miraculously heal them through this. In fact, I'd encourage you, even as we're praying, when we say amen, 
Maybe, maybe you need later on, because you're sitting around other people, you need a moment by yourself to just go away and worship God. Man, go back to the worship at the beginning of this teaching and play it again and worship him. Go take a moment to walk with God outside and just worship him. But reset your heart where envy has taken hold. So God, we give you all praise and all glory. We trust in you alone to do this inside of our hearts. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for spending time with us today. A special thanks to those of you who generously give through 12 Stone. It is because of you that this ministry is possible. And if you want to learn more about 12 Stone, make sure you follow us on social at 12 Stone Church and check out a location or a watch party near you. And if you enjoyed the podcast, you could subscribe, share it with your friends, hit the share button, or even take a screenshot and throw it in your social stories. And make sure to tag 12 Stone Church. Let it be a blessing to somebody else. Thank you again, and we'll catch you on the next one.